uh, opportunity and I appreciate everyone that was able to help each and every year to help the families that are in need, help them have a little bit better Christmas. And Hunter, boy, that last song preaches. That's just fantastic. Thank you for the great job that our praise team does each and every week. Well, we are celebrating Advent. How many of you grew up in a church where you celebrated Advent or even know really what that is? Okay, a handful. And so that's something that's not particularly uh, common to our tradition. But what it means is coming. And it's those who waited for Christ's coming. And so during the Christmas time, we focus in on those that years and years and years ago waited for the promises of God to be fulfilled and for the promised Messiah to come. And so we learn from their stories and we learn from their attitudes to help us in our own advent, our own expected waiting for Christ's second coming. And so today we'll see God's plan as he sends his son, not through a ruler and not through an influencer, and, and not from someone uh, that's in a position of power. That would have been the easy thing. Instead, God chose a very lowly peasant girl. Of all the people that God could have selected, God chose Mary. If you have your Bible, either in paper or in an app, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke is our third gospel and we're going to pick up the story where we left off last week. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, who's Elizabeth? Well, Elizabeth is one of Mary's relatives, whether it was a sister, probably a, a cousin uh, who's much older than Mary. And, and we studied last week about how Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, was serving in the temple in Jerusalem. And how the angel Gabriel came and told him, hey, you're going to have a baby. And I know it seems far-fetched with you and your wife being so advanced in years. But God has a plan. And it's going to be revealed through your son, John, who will be the forerunner, the new Elijah, to go before the coming Messiah. And so that's who Elizabeth is. And, and when Zechariah didn't believe, well, he was pushed off to the sideline, a mute, because God's like, I I'm only going to go with the goers. I'm going to go with those that faithfully trust in me. And so the leadership in the story was transferred to Elizabeth. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Well, who is this Mary? And, and where is she from? And, and why was she selected? I mean, we're kind of used to this story and we're kind of, okay, well, this is Mary. And, you know, but for the original readers, they would say, Why was she chosen to be the birth mother of God's own son? So who is Mary, and why did God choose her? Well, she's not from the city of Jerusalem, the, the capital city where we saw Zechariah being selected to go into the temple, I mean, the temple on the Temple Mount. And so it, it goes from the capital city, and the story goes to a backwoods little town called Nazareth. Well, how do we know that Nazareth was insignificant during that day? Well, in John chapter 1, you see uh, the story of Nathaniel and Philip. 
Philip is introduced to Jesus, and he's like, oh my, is this who I, yeah, it's him. And so he goes to grab his good friend Nathaniel. He's like, Nathaniel, you got to come. Well, I'm kind of busy. No, drop everything. We have found the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. He has come. Our advent is happening right now. Who is this guy? Well, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And what was his response? Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so, can, uh, she is a commoner. The text doesn't tell her she has any wealth or esteemed mentioned in her background. What else do we know about Mary? Well, we know that she's very young. Most scholars believe that she's in her early to mid-teenage years, if you can imagine. And so she's very young, and so she, uh, Luke wants us to know she's not a fully developed young lady, right? So she's not uh, on her own yet. So she's still most likely under the care of her parents, and so she's in her mid-teens. So let's pick up in verse 29. Well, Mary, after Gabriel comes in her presence, was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, come on, get up. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the Most High. Really? Yes, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, I I'm a virgin. See, Mary, someone along the way had explained the birds and the bees uh, to this young girl. And so she knew where babies come from and how that happens. And she's kind of raising her hand going, I haven't been doing the things that birds and bees do. That's not me. And so this thing sounds awesome. And, and I'm open. But you need to know that I'm a virgin and I have been very protective of that status. And, and we have put some place uh, we put in place some protection things between me and my fiance to make sure that we don't cross that line. And so if something is going to happen like you're describing, it's got to be something miraculous. And Gabriel said, exactly. The God we worship traffics in miraculous. That's his currency. And we talked last week that, do we really want to worship a God that we have it all figured out? Dude, we really want to worship a God that can just do the stuff we can do. No, God wants to step forward and says, I choose Gideon, the lowest of the low, and, and just go all the way down, and he's the least likely, and I want to send him out against the Midianites. But your army is way too big. Let's whittle it down to 300 and send you out with trumpets and with Boy, just the clay pots and the torches, and you take out the hundreds of thousands of Midianites so that people can't say, well, boy, Gideon, he's quite the fighter. 
No, it's God bringing about that victory. God traffics in the miraculous. And so that's what we know. Let's keep reading in verse 35. Well, the angel answered, okay, Mary, I get it. But here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, Elizabeth, what about Elizabeth? Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child. That's impossible. She and Zachariah have been trying for years. Do you know how old she is? Yes, I'm telling you. She is going to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. If God throws it out there and God says this, it will not return to him empty, church. God says, if this is going to happen, it's going to happen because I said so. Mary replied, I'm just the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Okay, so we can marvel at this story, and certainly we should. But what can we learn from this other than where she's from and her age and, you know, be amazed at that? I think the real power in this story comes in verse 38. That's the teaching moment for you and I. As she's waiting for her advent, we need to learn from Mary as we're waiting our second coming of Jesus returning to us. So in verse 38, we need to realize how Mary saw herself. When she looked in the mirror, this is how she perceived herself. After the angel told her everything would happen, she proclaimed, I'm just a Lord's servant. <laughs> I'm just a servant. Let it be done according to his word. Servant of God. Have you heard that before? That's how Moses described himself. You know, Moses, Charlton has to, dividing the, you know, the waters may be parting, and here come the frogs and the gnats and all those things, and, and he's bringing these forward, and this is Moses, and he brings down the tablets. He goes, I, I'm nothing. I'm just a servant of my heavenly Father, doing whatever he needs me to do. And for that attitude, Moses was described as the most humble man in all of Scripture. King David, the one who kind of got it right, the closest that we see in, in all the kingdoms. The man after God's own heart, how does he describe himself? I know I'm a king, but that's not how I see myself. When I look and, and I gaze into the water and I see my reflection, I just see myself as a servant. I remember back to being on the hillside where God was there to protect me and, and God was leading. I'm just a servant. Paul, his letter to the Romans, said, I, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. If you want, I'll get out my resume. And I promise my resume blows yours out of the water. But that's what I'm not going to tell you about me. I'm just a servant that follows after Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. I am so connected to Jesus, and I'm following him that I can say with confidence out of my humility, come follow me as I follow Jesus. What does Peter say? Same thing. He goes, I I'm a servant of the Lord and of Jesus Christ. Jude, James, they all describe themselves the same way. We're just servants. 
And, and here's what's cool. Here's the teaching moment for us. That if you want to do cool things in the kingdom, boy, you've got to see yourself differently. You've got to see yourself in the humility that these great men and women of faith did. The more they understood God and how big and how massive and how mighty God was, they're like, okay, I'm nothing. Isaiah gets brought into the throne room and he's like, okay, I thought I was pretty good. They chose me to be a prophet, and that's right, I'm your prophet. He sees God and he's like, oh no, he's holy, holy, holy. Quick, get an ember out of the fire and put it on my tongue because I realize how unholy I am. And the bigger our God becomes, church, the smaller we become. That is where humility starts. That's where wisdom begins, is the fear and an acknowledgement of our Heavenly Father. And that's where God's like, okay, you finally got it. Now I can use you. And, and that's what, for Mary to have this understanding that I'm just a servant. At such an early age, God says, that's why I have chosen you. And so that's why he wants this to happen. So the lowest title that you could share as your identifier is, I, I'm a servant. I, I do whatever my master tells me. I have no idea what my job description is. I show up every morning and the master says, go do this. And you're like, okay. And, and then after you're done with that, I want you to go do this. Okay. And don't we see that in the life of Philip? Philip leaves uh, during the persecution, and he goes over to Samaria, and he has this great uh, welcoming of all these Samaritans, and he's baptizing folks, going, this is awesome. And God's like, yeah, leave there for someone else. I want you to go talk with the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay. That's the humility of a servant to say, it's just whatever the Father wants. That's who I am. Just use me. I, I'm a nobody. I, I'm just a servant. You know, when you're in elementary school and the, the teacher asks, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, it's like, oh, athlete, a musician, right? A president. I, I don't know. Just something cool. But I don't think people say, well, can sign me up to be a servant. I want to do just well, whatever they, they need me to do. But here's where things are different in the world around us. It may be the conversations we need to be having with our children about what they're going to be when they grow up. That in, in God's economy, you, you take this pyramid where you work your way up to the top and you turn it upside down to where the ones on the bottom, they're at the top. And the ones that have been trying to get up at the top and separate themselves, they go all the way down to the bottom. So in God's economy, the first are, help me out, church. And the last are, so he's like, the sooner you can figure that out, the sooner you can check your ego at the door, the sooner I can use you for some cool stuff. And that's what Mary already has figured out. I'm just a servant. Use me how, whatever you want to accomplish. I, I just want your kingdom to be advanced. And so absolutely mark me down. I'm a servant of God. You know, we sing this song Mary, did you know? How many of y'all like the song, Mary, did you know? Isn't that sweet? And, and so it begs the question, what did she know at this moment when Gabriel comes and, and talks with her? And it's like, Mary, did, did you know that your son's going to walk on water? No. Uh, Mary, did you know he's going to calm the seas? 
Do, do you know that the blind are going to see because of the efforts of your son? Really? Yeah, do you know, ultimately, he's going to be the Lamb of God? Like a pet? No, he's going to be the Lamb of God. Mary, did you know that? And I would have to tell you from this passage, I would say at the moment that Gabriel comes in and has this conversation with her, she didn't. And why do I know that? Or why do I think that? Because where does she give her song, her Magnificant, that we sang? Well, she hears about Elizabeth. She's hearing all these things. She's trying to process. And she's simultaneously taking in what Gabriel is saying. And then she's trying to process in the horizontal how this is going to blow up her world around her. And so she's doing all these things. And, and she goes and she taps on this whole idea. Well, Elizabeth's going through this too. She's older than me. And so I'm going to go and try to figure some stuff out with Elizabeth and Zachariah. And so as we studied last week, she goes walking into their home and, hey, I'm here. Elizabeth is Mary. And so Elizabeth comes walking, whoa, you're not going to believe. I've got a child and promise in here. He's the next Elijah, the one that was promised. And he leaped for joy as to what's growing inside of your body. Mary, do you realize the implications of what has happened? She goes, well, that's part of the reason I'm here. Mary, your child will be your Savior. Your child will be my Lord. That's what's going on. And so it hits her like a ton of brick. She finally gets to process, and she said, give me something to write with. I, I, it's just coming out. And so she starts singing. Verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will hear this story and know that I've been blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, not me for him. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the ruler from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering after 400 years to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. It's happening now. These promises are coming to fruition. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and returned home. I want to press this question. Mary, did you know a little further? Mary, did you know when you said, I'm a humble servant, use me as you, as you want to, that within a matter of hours, your husband would hear your story of your encounter and say, Mary, I can't buy it. I'm guessing what you've been up to means I'm going to be filing divorce papers. I'll do it quietly. Divorce, just Yes. And, and he would have if not for the angel coming to talk with him, going, no, <laughs> listen to Mary. She, what she's saying is legit. It is the Holy Spirit that is conceiving in her. 
Mary, when you were playing with dolls and, and thinking about the future and, and wanting to be a mom and, and the life that you have with Joseph, did you think your firstborn would be born in a barn with animals? Mary, did, did you think about this, this event that you thought would bring such joy and such honor to your family? that you'd have to do it on the road because of the guilt and the shame and everything that had been associated with this birth. Mary, did you know what was going to happen with Herod, the crazy emperor that sees a threat and says, you know what? There's a new king. We're going to snuff it out. Everyone two and younger, go kill him. Did you know that your son would bring about the slaughter of the innocents? Mary, did you realize that instead of bringing your baby home and having the nursery and, and starting a childhood like yours, you would spend your first two to three years on the road in Egypt living, boy, just on the road, and boy, just living as fugitives in Egypt. Did you know that when your son finally starts his ministry, he decides that, hey, I want to begin my ministry at my home church. And he gets up and, and he reads from Scripture and he shares his thoughts. Mary, did you know that your best friends, you know, in all of your life and your relatives would get together and take your son out to the edge of the cliff and try to throw him off? Mary, did you know that an unnamed disciple named John would be holding you at the base of the cross. Mary, did you know that? I don't think Mary knew all those things. All she knew is, Lord, I want to be faithful. Tell me what I need to do today. And then tomorrow, I'll check back with you. But today, I'm going to take a step of faith and just say, I'm a servant. Use me. Tomorrow, I'm still your servant. You can still use me. Tell me what that next step looks like. I'm not going to try to process too much about my future and about how this thing plays out. All I know is, is that it's worked out pretty good if I align myself with my heavenly father and say, God, you've got this, and God, you've got me as well. God, you've got me as well. How are you going to use me? My soul glorifies the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. In his poem, Celebrating Advent Means Knowing How to Wait, Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes Mary as one person who knew what it's like to have excitement and preparation, while on the other side, the anxiety of waiting. And have you been there? Either as a child waiting for a gift or as an older person waiting to give a gift. And, and boy, you, you've prepared and you're ready, but you're also anxious about that moment. So what Bonhoeffer is saying is Mary understands this Advent thing pretty clearly. Here's what he says. For she knows better than anyone what it means to wait for Christ. She waits for him in a way unlike anyone else. She awaits him as his mother. She knows about the mystery of his coming and about the spirit that's at play here. The world doesn't yet, but she knows. And about the almighty God who works his wonders. And so my question for me and my question for you this morning is, 
Where do you see yourself in the story? Does this seem like a natural fit that you've got this humility that allows God to just use you? And God's like, okay, well, you've gotten to the end, and boy, I can use you for a variety of things. Or are you more like Jesus' disciples, James and John, who though they were called, and they were called out from the big crowd, that we're going to be one of the 12. You're the dirty dozen. That's right. So we're called, but we've got our own agenda. So in Mark chapter 10, it said that the disciples are arguing over who's the greatest. The greatest? Oh, yeah. Why are you even discussing this? Jesus asked him time and time again. He goes, well, I'll tell you. When you come into your kingdom, Lord, uh, you're going to have to decide who is going to be in positions of authority. Who's going to be secretary of state? You know, who's going to be over agriculture? Yeah, you know, all these different things. We know you're going to have power and you're going to have some positions. And we want to make sure that you know ahead of time, before this kingdom comes about, who is the greatest among us right now? Because you've been talking about this whole parable of talents and what we do in small things will then turn into big things. And we're waiting for that where you give the one that, that doubled at 10 cities. Yeah, sign me up for that. And so they're jockeying back and forth as to who's the greatest. And, and James and John were like, why don't we go get mom? Mom, yeah, everyone loves mom. So they go grab mom and they're like, can you go put a bug in Jesus here? Oh, Jesus. You know, my boys, James and John, they're part of your inner three, and they do, they do something for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, can they sit at your left and right hand? And Jesus is like, that's not for me to determine. And you need to be careful what you ask for. And then he turns to his disciples, and he says, it can't be this way among you. You know the Gentiles, the Romans, the ones you hate, and how they lord it over those that are under them. Why are you trying to follow their blueprint? Why are you trying to establish yourself as someone who's great so you can have people underneath you that go left and right? Why are you trying to acquire servants and people that you can rule over? Instead, the first among you will be a slave to all. Let me wash your feet, boys. You go to a banquet, don't sit up at the top, sit at the bottom. Have them move you up. Why are you doing these things? Humble yourself and allow God to raise you up. So God's kingdom is upside down. And the one God uses don't describe themselves as superstars just servants. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Mark Vance shares a story of one of the most famous sermons that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave. He preached called the drum major instinct, and see if this doesn't resonate with you. In it, Dr. King says this, like the disciples, we all have the desire to lead from the front we desire to be great, like the drum major that goes out ahead of the parade, leading the way, champion the crowd, and we are born with that instinct to go to the front, to be the first, and to lead out. Where Dr. King says, if you look at Mark 10, there's a new understanding of greatness. He says, if you want to be important, okay, that's wonderful. If you want to be recognized, once again, wonderful. Wonderful. 
If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is great among you shall be your servant. That's the new definition of greatness. And by giving that definition of greatness, Jesus says anybody can be great because everyone can serve. What's amazing is Dr. King preached that in February of 1968 from his pulpit in the Ebenezer Baptist Church. Two months later, they would play the last three minutes of that sermon at his funeral. And after they played that, and there wasn't a sound in the auditorium, they loaded up his body in a casket, and they put it onto a slave's ox cart, and they pulled it through the streets of Atlanta to show the world what greatness looks like. It looked like laying down your life. It looked like being humiliated. It looked like the greatest among you will be your servant. What do we do with this? You know, we're going through challenges and hardships as a congregation. And when we started out on a journey to live more faithfully to the text and position ourselves to better reach the lost, simply proclaiming Jesus as it, None of us could imagine the events that would follow. But God calls each one of us to trust him. We believe God has asked us to take a step, and the leaders of this congregation have taken that step. And they want to take further steps, and the next step in faithfulness, allowing our Heavenly Father to lead us and to use us to advance his kingdom in his time. Like Mary... Each of us has an image that we see in the mirror. How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as the leader of the band? Do we see ourselves more highly than we ought? Or is our God so big that we get it? We're just a simple servant here for a very short period of time. And when we're on the field and the ball is ours, we've got to move forward. Like Mary, each one of us is called to trust him and keep walking by faith What's your next step? You know, for some, you've been coming for months, sometimes years, and you've failed or just haven't thought it was the right time to get baptized. Boy, today is the day to do that, to say, well, my next step is really my first step of faith in stepping out saying, I want to proclaim I'm uniting myself with Jesus Christ. Then I want to go down into the waters of baptism, and I want my old self the cocky and arrogant side. I want that that part to be put to death. And I want to be buried. And I want to come out a new creature, a servant, that my Father can use through the power of His Spirit to help us deal with sin, to give us our grace, and give us our marching orders. Maybe it's rededication, just saying, I, I've been kind of sitting on the sidelines, but no more. I'm rededicating myself I want to serve in this church and on this campus, but out in our community as well. I want to be all in and say, God, each and every morning I'm going to get up and say, what do you need me to do? Use me, Lord. Are you ready to serve? No task is below me. We can help you this morning. Come now as we stand and as we sing.